Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. You see on the screen here, or you're going to hear from Daniel Gowan and Mark Brennan, our colleagues at Lions247.com. It is the off week, the bye week. James Franklin would be quick to say it's not an off week, but it's the open Saturday on this Penn State schedule as they get ready for a bunch of Big Ten action just around the corner. Mission to the next matchup on October 15th. In the meantime, though, Penn State situated at number 10 in the AP Top 25 poll. Uh, they started on ranked this season. They go 5-0. and Suddenly, they're a top-10 program, and the stage is set for a potential top-10 showdown coming off the off week with Michigan on the road to Indiana this week, but number four in the country right now. And, of course, a trip from Ohio State to Beaver Stadium looms large at the end of the month. They are number three in the country right now. With all that said, we've got some big-picture conversation to go through. That's the case when you're a 5-0 program and you are number 10 in the country. We've got a lot to look ahead to in our coverage, but looking back a little bit at that 17-7 win over Northwestern, it's something that we discussed on our post-game podcast Saturday, Daniel and I. And Daniel, let's begin with you. You had your rewind piece up on Monday, one of our game week staples here. And you had a lot to say about this matchup. Certainly, we did on the post-game podcast. What stood out upon further review? A couple things that I, I highlighted as I was I was looking through the numbers. Um, I didn't get too much into the into the Sean Clifford conversation that we had uh, on on Saturday night, and I focused the energy elsewhere a little bit. Um, but you know, going back through the touchdown pass from Sean Clifford to Brenton Strange, um, it really even upon rewatch uh, and live, it stood out as just a very well-designed play, um, something that if you're a Penn State fan, I think that you should be uh, excited to see in the offense, that kind of creativity. Um, Brenton Strange said that, you know, it's great having a, you know, someone like Mike Yersich drawing things up. Um, and then further into it, looking at the defense, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the pass breakups um, and that focuses on the defensive backs, Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King, guys like that. But, one number that that I came across is that uh, the defensive linemen have eight pass breakups this year. Um, they only had four all of last year. Um, and between them, Hakeem Beeman and Amin Vanover each have three uh, through five games, whereas last year Nick Tarburton had two the entire season, and that was the most for a, a defensive lineman. So I think we, this came up when we were talking to some of these guys, uh, I think after the Purdue game. you know, What's the, the teaching point when quarterback is getting the ball out early you're not getting those hits, getting those sacks. You know, they say that they, you, know, you throw the arms up, you, know, you get aggressive, try to get in the lanes. And Penn State has been doing a really good job of that. Um, and that was just kind of a, a number that I was a little surprised to see, given how much we've talked about these DBs, uh, what those defensive backs have been doing as we've been watching them. But um, that front, even though I think, you know, we would like to see more sacks, Penn State would probably like to see more sacks they're still having a, a really big impact um, on what they've been doing. So I got a couple other notes in there. Landon Tang while playing a full game, um, obviously special teams. It seems like every, every Monday, every Sunday, every Monday this year, I've been looking at who's taking the kickoffs, watching the field goals and extra points back. Um, but you know, as always, it's a little bit of a notebook dump and there's a lot of uh, variety in there for, for people to go through. On Sunday afternoon, guys, the dust settles a little bit. Penn State ends up going up one spot in the top 25 rankings nationally. And you're reminded that it's a chaotic period right now in college football. You're also reminded that not everybody is parsing through every matchup uh, like the local beat. And obviously we are. And coming out of the Northwestern game, although the result is a win and a rise in national rankings, 
Mark, you covered it in both your top takeaways piece and your report cards. This program's got some work to do coming out of five weeks, and, and they've got to figure it out ahead of the beastly portion of their schedule here. Yeah, you know, I think one thing that, that that writers who vote in the polls probably did look at is the fact that Penn State had five turnovers in that game and still won. I mean, that's that's rare. I, I, I don't know the stat, but I can't believe there are many teams that have five turnovers and still manage to win the game. So that that's actually a positive. But, yeah, I, I just I, I said it after the Central Michigan game that, you know, having one lackluster offensive performance is is one thing almost can be expected but it was going to be an issue if they had two in a row and now they have had two in a row now I know that you could chalk some of that up to the weather um but you know it's the big 10 you're you're going to be playing in nasty weather at some point in the season and you better be able to handle it so uh, to me I'd have to say the most the most um Potentially troubling thing is that Sean Clifford did not play particularly well. I thought he played his worst game against Northwestern, and I don't know that you want to be carrying that into the bye week and then this big stretch that they have because he is going to have to play at a higher level than he's played so far for them to survive these next three weeks unbeaten. And I'm not suggesting they are going to survive these these you know that stretch unbeaten. I'm sure. Uh, you know, our predictions will, uh, you know, people will be able to see what we predict when we get to those games. But he he is just going to have to play better. You know, he, he had interception uh, toward the end of that game. There were two wide open receivers, especially Parker Washington, that he just flat out missed. And, you know, if you look around the Big Ten, where people are, in ter- where he ranks in terms of efficiency and in terms of, of pass percentage, uh, you know, those the completion percentage, those things are not where he needs to be. And he has to be a better quarterback. And, you know, he played really well through the first few games. Uh, but I think he's kind of taken a step back. And I think that's really important because, listen, I think you can you don't want to justify the running backs putting the ball on the ground five times. But it was nasty weather. So I am going to justify it a little bit. It was nasty weather. And a couple of those were just ridiculous hits. And that was an aberration from the first four games. So that that has not been that has not been established as a pattern. I think the receivers are playing generally okay, well, not great. Brenton Strange is playing better than anybody could have imagined, and I think that's helped to make up for what they're what they haven't gotten uh, from Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. And I think the offensive line, you know, we're doing grades this week. I think the offensive line has actually been pretty decent you know again that's faint praise but from what we've seen the last few years so this is all going to boil down to Sean Clifford to me you know this season and whether Penn State is a true contender or whether it's not is going to boil down to Sean Clifford and if it's not Sean Clifford how quickly do they identify that and go in a different direction well, speaking of the other direction that exists, if they were to take it, uh, Drew Aller was not on the field on Saturday. He did not burn his redshirt status, but six freshmen did. Um, it was the running backs, as we've all become familiar with, getting early and often usage uh, and, and um, Nick Singleton and then Katron Allen, linebacker Abdul Carter, defensive lineman denied Dennis Sutton and Zane Durant, and then wide receiver Omari Evans, who out of that group of six is certainly the one that we didn't see coming. Uh, I think the others, by the time we got through 
August, certainly the projection was for them to be in this kind of a position in October. Uh, KJ Winston, though, by the way, guys, uh, he got some work on special teams. So he's actually up to four games. Him and Drew Aller are the two freshmen right now who sit on that four-game threshold. Their next snap this season will burn their red shirt. And so already tripled the total from last year. And I think that's really the interesting I guess, uh, situation and dynamic with this roster and with this 2022 run that they want to launch here is there are so many upstart players on this roster, whether it's incoming talent from the transfer portal or these, this bevy of freshmen that continues to make their mark and will continue to do that. And yet the post game conversation often rather quickly goes back to the guy we've been talking about in post game shows since 2019 in Sean Clifford and so when it comes to Sean Clifford in the quarterback position, are we at where you guys thought we would be through five weeks? Is Sean Clifford in a better spot or is Drew Aller perhaps in a more of a prime position to take on this, take on this role? Daniel, let's start with you. I mean, I'm, I definitely think Drew Aller is, is ahead of where I thought he'd be at this point. Um, I was a little surprised. I mean, I was surprised. I think back in August when James Franklin came out and said he was going to be the number two quarterback, you know, it was the type of thing where watching him in our limited windows in practice is clear that he has all the physical tools. Um, but, you know, we weren't necessarily, I think, hearing a ton um, about what was going on behind the scenes and in, in terms of the, the comfort there would be in putting a true freshman in that backup role where, given the way that Sean Clifford plays, you know, he's going to be called on at some point. And, and then that happened before we even thought it would. Um, and I think Aller has acquitted himself really well um, through these four, first four weeks. So I think I would say that Aller is ahead of where I thought he would be. And I think with Clifford, it's probably about the same. Um, I think that statistically, I think it's a little bit better um, than than what we expected. I mean, only two interceptions through five games, nine touchdowns. Um, you know, we've got some recency bias to deal with uh, based off of what we saw Saturday. Um, in terms of his his shakiest outing. But I think when you kind of pair that with what we saw out of him down at Auburn, uh, when he was very much uh, in command uh, and what he did in that two-minute drill at Purdue, um, I think that it the, the whole picture is kind of, uh, you know, I think maybe where, where I thought we'd be, where we saw the highs um, and then the lows have been pretty tough to watch. Um, and I think that that is kind of, how things have been for Clifford um, the, these past couple of years. I mean, obviously, the the order that these games happened is the order that they happened in. But, you know, if you move this Northwestern game back to Auburn, like in terms of the stat lines, maybe you feel a little bit differently about it. Um, but I think it's pretty much what we knew we were going to get out of Sean Clifford minus, um, I think, minus the minus a couple mistakes, I think, is kind of how I would would come to the conclusion on that through five weeks. Yeah, Mark, to Daniel's, have, yeah I'm yeah, sorry, but ahead, to Daniel's point, I mean, w- when you talk about what do you expect from Sean Clifford, you know, heading into this season, he was at 60.4 completion percentage uh, for his career. And every year outside of that first one, which really didn't count because uh, he, he played limited snaps, he was within a point or two of 60%. He was right. He's been right in there. And now, you know, he slowly kind of slid back down to 62% this year. He was up to, I think, 64 point point something. But it's working its way back toward the mean, which you would expect from a 60-year quarterback. 
Now, why is that important? And I, I pulled up the numbers here. You know, as we stand, even with those two interceptions, Clifford's eighth in the Big Ten in pass efficiency, and he's 10th in completion percentage. I mean, you know, you, you need more from a six-year guy, don't you? I mean, it, but can you expect more from a six-year guy? It's kind of a conundrum that at what point is, is Sean Clifford who he is? And I think that's what it's going to boil down to in this next series of games. Is that going to be enough to seriously compete and potentially beat the the caliber of team that you're going to, to, to face? Or do you take a chance? And, and uh, this is just – when I came out of that game, when we taped the nitwits on Sunday, you know, I, my initial thought was, you know, maybe it wasn't a bad idea that they didn't play uh, Aller – because then you're playing him in a situation where it's going to create a little bit of a, of a quarterback controversy because Clifford wasn't playing well. The offense wasn't doing well. This wasn't putting him in at the end of the blow of a blowout, and this wasn't getting him in a game where Clifford was bumped up. But the more I think about it, I mean, I think you, when you look at these numbers, when you take a step back in this bye week, and that's what the bye week's for, so we can take a step back and analyze some of this stuff and – you know, when your coach is saying that you didn't play up to the standard in the most recent game, you know, they have some – in this Michigan game, unless Clifford comes out and plays really, really well, and for his sake, I hope he does because I think he's been really good for the program, but I think they're going to have decisions to make at some point in, in these next couple of weeks with the way that he's playing, unless he can pick it up. But again, what leads us to believe – this far into his career that he's going to pick it up. So I guess that's where I'm at. I, I know I probably said a bunch of nothing there, uh, but it's you have one player who seems to have a significant upside, and you want you have one player who you know who he is, and even with two interceptions, he's not grading out that great. With Sean Clifford, Mark, you and I have both covered 38 of his starts at the college level. Um, you know, James Franklin has seen each of them, and then he's worked in a detailed manner through all the throws and through all the key moments in all 38 of those career starts. I know that we've all been wowed by what we saw from Drew Aller in, I think, seven offensive possessions, eight offensive possessions to this point. What we don't know is what James Franklin has seen of Drew Aller beyond those eight possessions because we've seen a ton of Sean Clifford. Uh, we've seen Sean Clifford go up against uh, FCS defenses and have his way with them. We've seen him have great games against Big Ten opponents, and we've seen him have thuds like he did last Saturday. Uh, we don't have that kind of a sample size with Drew Aller. I do know that if he's working against this Penn State defense that we've seen, and he's been doing that since March, there have been some moments for him to prove himself. And this coaching staff has seen it if he has, and this and this locker room has seen it if he has. And if he's still producing that kind of a, a trajectory where it sure seemed like he was rocketing his way from August to September – I'm curious to, to learn how he's maintained that now that they've, they've the practices are much different in the season than they are in August. I think we all understand that. Um, but I want to know just how much is Sean Clifford looking over his shoulder at this point because of what Drew is doing with his arm, what he's doing, uh, diagnosing plays at a better clip, what he's doing, being a better communicator with his teammates as an 18 year old and all the little things that he's getting better at. How much is Sean Clifford getting better at things versus how much is he kind of sustaining things? And that's kind of the question. Are those two things going to meet? Um, is one going to surpass the other? And what kind of a, a, a conversation does this coaching staff make 
Um, this is big boy football. You go out and recruit a five-star top-of-the-line quarterback for a reason, to have tough conversations like this. You don't give him the keys when he gets to campus, and you certainly don't do that when he's got a 24-year-old incumbent starter. But we're now at the season where Penn State and James Franklin are going to be nitpicking every little part of this program to separate themselves from being a hollow 5-0 and that ends up with something similar to last year versus this being the foundation of something really special and potentially a turning point, a pivot point in James Franklin's career at Penn State. And when you look at the, the trigger man, that's a big part of that process. And I think this is probably a lot more to chew on than a lot of people are going to give credit toward in the next couple of weeks for, for Franklin, for Mike Yersich. I'm not suggesting that Drew Aller's the first quarterback out there on the road in Ann Arbor, but I'm certainly suggesting that this second quarter series that we've heard about uh, or some of these other built-in plans to get Drew Aller involved, I think that needs to be under serious consideration uh, for Penn State. I also would say that I think big picture-wise, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of looking in at the, at the micro on this of – you know, will uh, Drew Aller get an opportunity to play in these big games? I think if we pull back a little bit and look from 30,000 feet, it's actually a positive for Penn State that we're talking about a situation where there there appears to be a viable option if Sean Clifford isn't able to get the job done. Because even going into the Iowa game last year, I don't think any of us would have thought that they would be in good shape or, or potentially better if Taquan Roberson took over, right? So, right. You know, again, I'm not painting this. Penn State, it would be much better for Penn State if Sean Clifford was playing lights out going into this situation. But they're, far, they're in a far better place, in my view, than they were last year. Maybe that's faint praise. But I think it's a good situation where, when you have viable options, if a six-year guy isn't getting it done, that you're comfortable to go in a little bit different direction. It's probably going to be a, a conversation more for next week, but I think I, I definitely agree with you, Tyler, about you know these these second quarter series. Is I think that you know if you've talked about having that in your game plan, if you've talked about that as something that you want to do. Uh, you know, you actually have to do it at some point, you know, even if the, the game flow isn't going the way that it lines up perfectly. I mean, that's football. I mean, these games never go uh, the way that that you expect them to go. You know, we've saw it even in a blowout win over Ohio and even in a controlling win over Central Michigan. I mean, I don't think even when those games were a little touch and go in the first quarter, I, I don't necessarily think they were they were ever in in doubt overall. Um, but I think that there comes a point where if you go into a game being like, all right, we want to get Drew Aller a series in the second quarter to see how he does. Um, I think that you have to pull the trigger on that uh, no matter what's going on, no matter how Sean Clifford is playing, um, because that's just that's just how it works uh, in football. Yeah. You know, you have to see how your players can respond to adverse situations uh, as a coaching staff. You have to respond to adverse situations. Um, so I think that if that's something that, um, you know, they're still thinking about as they go into Michigan, as they go into Minnesota, um, I think that you have to, you really have to commit to that. Um, because otherwise how, how else are you going to know? Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't think that the way that Drew Aller is as a quarterback, I don't necessarily think it'll be the way that it was with like Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy last year. Um, but I think that it's something where if you want to do it, you just have to do it, uh, instead of coming to post game and being like, well, we were going to do it, but then, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's like, well, 
you know, you have to be prepared for that. You have to know that, you know, even if you have a game plan, you have to adjust, you know, you have to either stick with what you want to do or completely scrap it. Um, so I think that that'll be something that we can probably get into a little bit more next week, but I definitely agree with you, Tyler, on, on that point, as we look towards the second half of the season. And I know people are hesitant about Drew Aller and messing with a five and zero situation teams on beaten overall, you know, Sean Clifford, 13 total touchdowns, two interceptions. There's a risk in putting a freshman out there at any point, especially when we get into some of these tougher big 10 matchups, but there's also a risk in sticking with what we think we know they have at quarterback and getting the same results that they've gotten over the last nearly 40 starts. And there's a risk in that maybe sandbagging your opportunity to go and win 11 games over the course of this regular season. So uh, I think right now, uh, Mike Yersich, uh, by the way, the, there's only one quarterback in that room that he personally recruited to campus, and that's Drew Aller. Uh, so we'll learn a lot about that uh, when they come out on, on the road at Michigan. I, I think if we don't see Drew at all, that's going to give us a big indication of how they feel about Sean Clifford. We did not see Drew last week. Um, and by the way, the, the, the worst situation here that you would be imagining is if we're getting uh, a, a Sean Clifford that's uneven, uh, that, that's turned the ball over, that's not nearly as clean as he's been through five games and you're still not getting Drew Aller, which would tell you that Drew Aller isn't ready. That's not the situation we're in. So you think of how this could have gone through five games, a pretty good spot right now. Cause I think you've learned more about Drew Aller in games than you thought you would. You're getting relatively clean play from Sean Clifford. Now what happens next? Because I think that ultimately determines how far this Penn state football program can go. Let's talk about the, the running back room where, where things have really evolved since August. We talked about how this room was loaded how, you know, how were guys still on campus? Yeah, what, what were they thinking to, to stick around? Well, both those guys are no longer with the team. Kaziah Holmes left in August. He's now at Florida State. Devin Ford, according to James Franklin, has decided to shift his focus away from football right now. So he is not with the team. That, that leaves them with Kevon Lee, who was the leading rusher the last couple of years. Uh, he had 40 yards on 10 carries last game. By the way, he fumbled like everybody else in this room. And then you got the two freshmen, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen. They've lived up to the hype, I think, in essentially every way uh, through their first month plus of college football. Gentlemen, what do you think about this room? Because what stands out to me is something Jaywan Sider said a couple of years ago uh, when looking back at 2020, you can think you have the best running back room in America and all of a sudden you're trying to pick up the pieces in an emergency situation. They're one bad snap away from potentially being in a scary spot here, despite some significant talent being on campus still. Definitely. I think that uh, we've talked about it with other positions and depth can disappear uh, as quickly as, as it's built up. Um, but, you know, I think I feel pretty good about uh, where the running back room is right now, um, even with the fumbles that we saw. Um, I, I think a lot of things about that Northwestern game are I, I think it'll end up being an outlier. Um I think even if there are some some season some games uh, down the stretch where where Penn State loses where are where there are some stumbles, um, I think when you look back at at the final scores for the year, it'll be the one that even though it's a win, it'll still be the one that everyone looks at and is kind of like, wait, what happened that that weekend again? Um, and I feel the same way about the running back room. Um, I think that we kind of won't see something like that again. Um, I am kind of curious though, about, um, you know, how this rotation is handled. Uh, we talked about in the post game pod and I wrote about it a little bit in the rewind where, um, you know, we know that Jalen Sider coaches these guys really hard. Uh, we know that he, he loves them, uh, and he has good relationships with them, but 
you know, it just very seems very punitive uh, the way that you know we saw last year when I think Kevon Lee fumbled against Indiana and he had like eight carries for 74 yards. He was the only guy that was really getting anything done uh, outside of Sean Clifford on the ground. And then we just didn't see him. So I think that you want to eliminate risk, but it's kind of like what we talked about with the quarterback that there's always going to be some sort of risk out there. Um, And if someone immediately goes to the bench for, you know, 25 minutes of game time, which in real time can be, you know, an hour, um, it kind of makes you wonder um, about, you know, how much of a help is that? Um, And especially when everybody fumbles, I mean, we got, in the in the rotation on Saturday, we got all the way around again to Nick Singleton uh, by the fourth quarter um, with how things went. So I'm very curious with that. I mean, you talk about the they talk a lot about the hot hand, um, but it seems like the the secure hand is a little bit more emphasized right now, which I totally understand. But I'm I'm curious to see how that goes because you're going to need players like Nick Singleton uh, to win these games. Uh, against Ohio State, um, you know, against Michigan. I mean, he is the five-star talent. He is the one that has the ability um, to outrun these five-star defensive linemen, these five-star defensive backs that Penn State is going to see. So I think you're really going to have to balance uh, having him on the sideline uh, because he, you know, might have had a mistake early um, versus having him on the field and running that risk of, you know, maybe a fumble, maybe him getting stopped for a three-yard loss. But you also know that he can be that 80-yard touchdown run uh, anytime he touches the ball. Right, yeah, Mark, Mark, isn't this isn't this the conversation where, where it shifts a little bit with Clifford because we keep comparing to last year and comparing to what we've seen before. Got to go way back to when he had Journey Brown and Nick Singleton has come in as a freshman doing this kind of things. We've seen what Katron Allen has done. Aren't these freshmen, and I don't want to disregard Kevon Lee, but aren't these freshman running backs kind of the counterbalance to what we do know with Sean Clifford, because it feels like these guys could really push this offense forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they've, uh, I think it's maybe a chicken and egg argument with the offensive line, but I don't think there's, I don't think anybody can argue that the offensive line has played better and whether that's made the running backs do better or whether the running backs beat, it's probably both, but to to have, but, but, but the thing I like is that um, what did Franklin say behavior modification or whatever it was with, uh, was that, was that the word? It was some sort of modification. Uh, You know, I think he was clearly getting around to the fact that Catron Allen didn't play in the first half uh, for, for some disciplinary reason. I don't know that for sure, but that's what he was. That's what he seemed to be getting at because he clearly wasn't injured. A staff um, decision, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but my my point being is, even with the three guys they have, they're in a situation where you can afford to do that. They're in a situation where against Central Michigan, when Singleton bounces a play outside and Jaywan Siders clearly riled up about it, that they could take him out and then and 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 get Allen in there, and then we don't see him. Or if somebody fumbles. Now, you make a good point that ultimately, if everybody's fumbling, it's going to just cycle back around to the first person. Uh, but that does, I think at this point, we could say that the fumble issue is an outlier because it did not happen yeah. in the first three games. But I think the talent is still there. And I wouldn't discount Kevon Lee. He's not in the league of the other two guys, but I think it's good to have a steady presence like that. You look at uh, Nick Singleton. 17 yards and losses. Katron Allen, five yards and losses. Kevon Lee, 
two yards and losses. So my point being, he's not going to be the guy that's going to break off 35, 40, 50, 60. But if you get him in there for a series or two, he's going to block well. He's, he's not going to lose yardage. He's going to grind out a couple yards here and there. Not necessarily the worst thing to have. But to have two, you know, an explosive back in Singleton and then a back who just has such good vision and ability to operate in traffic in Allen, I think you're still in a really good spot having those three guys. Now, if you're a Penn State fan, you're knocking on wood that, that everybody stays healthy because then yeah. – you know, th- then it could be a little dicey. And just cycling back to to Devin Ford, and I'm sure I don't know if you guys touched on it. I apologize, I didn't get to see the the post game pod. Uh, but it's funny how he's concentrating on academics after four games, where he's going to still if he de- if if he some somehow decides to enter the transfer portal, he won't lose this year of, of eligibility. So it's just kind of interesting. That timing seemed kind of kind of interesting to me, uh, but. Listen, if he ends up going somewhere else, good for him. Same thing with the other guys who went other places, because I think right now you have the top three backs still in the program and still all producing for you. Yeah, we noted the timing on Saturday night, and I will say, um, you know, it, it comes – you're removing somebody who is not getting a bunch of carries but had a role with this team. And when you take somebody who had a role with the team, whether it's an injury or because they're stepping away from the game – You've got to reevaluate that role. And, and when you look at what happened last Saturday, Kevon Lee played the third most out of these running back, but he was on the field for eight out of 20 pass plays, which gives you an indication that you know, he may be that new protector for Sean Clifford, at yeah. least the primary one uh, moving ahead. You, you think that makes sense when you've got two first-year players and then a third-year man in Kevon Lee. But uh, Tank Smith, we'd imagine, would be the next man up, the walk-on. You may see him involved in a kickoff return kind of role, which is also where Devin, Devin Ford uh, was involved early this season. Um, guys, I, I think we spent a lot of time on, on Brenton Strange. Uh, Mark, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, we talked a lot about him in the post game. There is such a, a, a divide right now. The other guys have gotten starts. It was Theo Johnson last week, uh, Tyler Warren, a couple, a couple starts before that. But there is a major divide in statistical output at that position. And, uh, you know, you have to credit Brenton Strange. But this, to me, when we're looking for those areas of the offense, can you bump up the ceiling a little bit? Can you can you, can you you help yourself out a little bit here? Can you put yourself in a better position to outscore Ohio State at home in the last week of, of, of September? This is an area where if they can get more out of the tight end room, and I think maybe a, a couple weeks off to get some healing happening with those guys, you can come out and go into game six in a, in a better spot than they've been at any point all season at the tight end spot, Daniel. Yeah, I think when you look at the tight end group uh, in terms of you, know, you want to see consistency from it. I think that was the big talking point after last season uh, with kind of how the the usage was was up and down. But I think this year that the health is the big issue. You know, Theo Johnson is, you know, misses the beginning of the season. Um, Tyler Warren uh, has had that big black knee brace on uh, the past couple weeks, and then we didn't see him uh, at all against Northwestern. Um, I think that the tight ends right now, I think it has a little bit more to do uh, with their health than necessarily anything in the game plan because we're seeing Brenton Strange uh, be involved um, a lot. We're seeing him be available for Sean Clifford um, in, in certain situations for certain plays. So, And he's making the most of his opportunities, uh, as we've talked about. So I think that that is a position group where this week, um, this bye week will help them uh, from health perspective. Um, I think for the staff too to kind of see what they can adjust um, around some of those 
uh, absences uh, around some of the health issues, uh, see what they can do to get these guys into better situations. Um, maybe Theo Johnson, after another week of practice, can get a little bit more back up to speed um, and a little bit more involved. So I think that, you know, I think coming into the year, it was a lot about, well, is Clifford going to target the tight ends? Is is Mike Yersich actually going to use them? Uh, is he going to keep them involved? Um, I think that both Yersich and Clifford have answered those questions positively. Um, it's just been a question of the actual availability um, of those tight ends uh, in, in terms of their, their production and involvement. I would disagree nope. on, on one point there, though, Daniel. And, and if the stats are accurate, uh, the official stats from the last game, the Northwestern game, Brenton Strange was targeted once. Theo Johnson was targeted once. You throw 20 mm-hmm. passes. Now, I know you're not throwing a ton of passes, but in, in ugly conditions, I mean, it just it's surprising. And both had catches, Strange obviously for a touchdown. Uh, I, that, so to me, that, that there's a little bit of an alarm going off there after what we saw and did not see last year, which they went into last year saying that they thought they had the best tight end room in the nation, and it didn't play out that way. And then they do it again this year, and Brenton Strange is playing. I, I, I don't look at stats from across the nation, but just my eyeball test tells me he's playing as well as anybody in the nation at tight end. I mean, he's catching the ball yards after catch, key catches, blocking. You know, he's doing everything. He's playing extremely well. And you, we know that Theo Johnson is talented. We know that Tyler Warren is talented. But a little bit of an alarm goes off when I see them in a tight game in nasty conditions against Northwestern and the tight ends are only targeted twice. Let me throw in one other thing is that I think it's been a godsend for them that Strange has played the way they did because we have not seen the balance from the receiving core that we thought we were going to see. We've seen great balance among Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley, but after that, Boom. It goes straight down. Nobody else has more than 10 catches. And, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith, hope he's okay. He was banged up. Didn't look great. Uh, But, you know, I hope he's okay. But, you know, I don't think he's, you know, living up to what people expected, including me, who said he would be the player of the game for the the, uh, Central Michigan game. And I think we're going to see more and more of Trey Wallace. We saw a lot of him. You mentioned Amari Evans. But, you know, they are very fortunate that Strange has elevated his game from last year because he had a real lackluster season, only had three touchdown catches the whole year. He's sitting there with four touchdown catches now. He's their third leading receiver. He's made a ton of clutch catches. Uh, They're fortunate he's played as well as he has because I don't think the receiving core has lived up to uh, what what we thought they were going to do as a group. And I'm still kind of stunned that Parker Washington, who – like his first year, it was like all he did was catch touchdown catch, cut, uh, t- catch touchdown passes, like the old Chris Carter, Buddy Ryan line, and he has yet to score a touchdown or to catch a touchdown pass this year. Mitchell Tinsley uh, with three TD catches, Brenton Strange with four, and then after that, nobody with more than one. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. It's not like you're balancing the, a lack of tight end usage. And, and again, we'll see what those guys look like when it's more of a healthy group. But you're not seeing that because the wide receiver group is getting a high volume of production. Um, I mean, imagine this group if they didn't bring in Mitchell Tinsley. He has been a, a go-to guy for Sean Clifford, it feels like, 
third down situations. Um, Parker Washington continues to lead this team, uh, 20 receptions. He, he's been the leading receiver in three of the last four games, but his 73-yard output against Northwestern is his best through five games. I don't think we would have projected that when we said, what's going what's to happen with Jahan Dotson out? And I think we are all learning more, something we already knew. Jahan Dotson was an extremely special player. He, he did a lot for Sean Clifford. Uh, particularly in the way that Sean Clifford really just needed to get it within range of number five at times, and he would end up with the long-distance completion. That's what you're missing right now, the long-distance completions. You have one to Parker Washington that helps set up the field goal for Jake Pinniger in the second half, but that's missing. It was a component of this offense through that 5-0 and start last year, if you guys recall, but there was no run game to speak of. Now there's a run game, and and stunningly, throw Mother Nature in there for last week as a, as a potential cause for this. But over the course of these five games, you haven't been able to, to counter that run game with being able to go deep and, and exploit teams down the field. And I think they've had some exploitable matchups. And that remains, I guess, the biggest red flag as this offense gets ready to take on its next phase of competition is are these wide receivers going to win some 50-50 balls? And is the quarterback going to be able to drop that ball in the bucket you don't have to do it 10 times a game, but if you can do it those two, three times a game when it matters most, you're going to stay on the field and move the chains, keep the defense on its heels, and put yourself in a position to win close Big Ten football games. To this point, they have a lot to prove in that department, guys. Yeah, hey, when we talk about explosive plays, and Tyler, you dug up this number earlier, I think. Parker Washington has 285 receiving yards. How many of those yards have come after the catch? It's Was it 133? No, 153. 150. I gave you the number. I should have known it off the top of my head. So what, what is that telling you? So when you talking when you talk about throwing it down the field, I mean, you know, he it's the, the the majority of his yards are after the catch, which is a good thing for Parker Washington. It's mm-hmm. not a good thing for the deep passing game, which just hasn't been there. Parker's longest catch is 43 yards, and I would imagine a bunch of those were after the catch, and Tinsley's Longest catch is 34 yards. Their, their longest catch was a 67-yarder in the Purdue game, uh, which was a running catch as well. So, yeah, that deep passing game hasn't really been what I think uh, a lot of us expected it to be. Not that they were you know, going to come out and be throwing 70-yard bombs every play, but I don't know that we would have predicted that there would be far more explosive plays in the running game than in the passing game at this point. That, that, by the way, you mentioned going deep on the de- – they're not going deep at all. I mean, on this depth chart. That's something <laughs> nice. that we heard a lot yeah. about. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we heard a lot about that in August. Uh, you know, they got five and a half, six guys they feel comfortable with, something they haven't had for the last few years. And to this point, there's been some tap-out situations. Omari Evans will get in as a true freshman behind Mitchell Tinsley. Um, you know, we, we've seen kind of a mix of guys at, at slot receiver behind – Parker Washington, uh, Liam Clifford, Caden Saunders went available. Uh, Malik Mega finally showed his face at, at wide receiver last week. But Harrison Wallace, to me, is, is an X factor because he's gotten some targets now. He's accrued these routes. He's accrued these reps. It's time to see that translation go from being the spring breakout who earned a role to being somebody who's really going to impact games. And, and I think that's the next step, especially with Keandre Lambert-Smith out now. We don't know if that's going to be even for one game, but he's clearly coming out of this with, with, with an injury to deal with. Harrison Wallace, I think that there's there's a little bit of pressure on him right now based on what we've seen elsewhere in the receiver room, what we have not seen elsewhere in the receiver room. He needs to be a guy who's making plays downfield, doesn't need to be six catches a game. He needs to make his presence known, though. He needs to have defensives respecting his presence, and I think that's really going to be an important step for this receiver group. Unless somebody surges up in the next couple of weeks and claims a spot, it's got to be Harrison Wallace right now. 
Yeah, and you mentioned that to go back a second. You mentioned the the sixty seven yard uh, long uh, pass being a catch and run. It was also by a tight end, right? Uh, yeah, and, and not one of the wide receivers. So I, I think Harrison Wallace is going to be a, a key to unlocking this offense in the second half uh, because from what we've heard about him, he is someone who has that vertical ability. Um, you know, he has the athleticism uh, to go up and get balls. We saw that in the blue white game. Um, he's someone who in the fall, uh, the, some of the buzz was that, yeah, he can take any pass and he can go 80 yards. You know, he's regarded as, as one of those athletes. And I think that when you talk about those non-conference games, the Ohio game, the central Michigan game, he was one of the guys where you wanted to see that, um, you know, as a second year, you know, ascending player, you were like, okay, this is for him, the chance to, to get his footing, to have, have a bit of a breakout and, we haven't seen that. So if that breakout is going to come, it's going to have to come against Michigan, against Minnesota, against Ohio State, you know, against these these Big Ten teams. Um, but I think that, you know, given that, you know, I think a lot of us penciled in Malik Mega as maybe that number four, number five wide receiver coming into the season. And I think that he's clearly at best number six, uh, given how how things have gone. Um, I think that really, you know, opens up, you know, it really, I guess, uh, enhances that, you know, so-called pressure on Harrison Wallace to, to be able to produce, uh, to be able to do things because, you know, I think that, you know, in the spring, a lot of, there was a lot of buzz about mega given his athleticism. I was, I tried to be pretty cautious about that given that the sample size with him was so small, uh, through that, that red shirt freshman year. And there was a lot of potential left, uh, or it was a lot of it was potential, um, and I guess it hasn't really clicked for him yet. So I think that it falls down to, to Wallace a little bit. Um, you know, Amari Evans, you know, we saw him catch that touchdown pass from Drew Aller, uh, and we know that he has the speed, but I think that the way that things have kind of shaken out, especially if Kendra Lambert Smith is going to miss time, it, it's going to be Harrison Wallace. He's going to be the one in that wide receiver room who really needs to take a leap. Yeah, Caden Saunders, not sure what his availability looks like. He wasn't in uniform a couple weeks ago. He wasn't involved this past week. He got a couple games of action in September. Um, a top 50, uh, top top 100 prospect uh, coming into from the 2022 class. And then uh, Anthony Ivey, Tyler Johnson, a couple other freshman receivers have yet to see uh, game action to this point. Uh, and on the offensive line, it's, it's a position that we spent plenty of time discussing between January and September 1st. And um, I, I think through five games, you feel better about them than you did through one game. And, uh, you know, you kind of look across the board. It's been a seven-man process until it wasn't last week. And that's something I – we're going to probably ask about on the practice field on Tuesday. It's our one chance to, to speak with James Franklin uh, during the course of this bye week. And very curious if if, if they have ruled out, uh, and I'm sure we won't get that kind of definitive answer, but Landon Tangwell, is he the, the, the main man at left guard now, or, or are we going to see Hunter Norzad or J.B. Nelson there? Because we still see Bryce Eftner on the right side. Um, and overall, guys, I think you come out of this and say, this offensive line, as of right now, they're not going to be the reason the wheels come off but we'll have to see that proven again against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I think Norzad is going to be in that mix when he's mm -hmm. healthy. When he's when he's healthy, you know, they probably felt as if they could experiment a little bit with uh, JB Nelson against Central Michigan, and were probably less, um, a little more reluctant is a better way of putting it. Uh, you know, in a Big Ten game, so. Uh, I think Norzad's going to be there. We're not sure what his injury is, but he's dressed for every game. He just hasn't played in the last 
couple of games. But, you know, they've only given up seven sacks on a season, which is pretty good through five games. And you look at their rushing numbers up from 107.8 last year to 192.6 this year, and not not against a terrible schedule to date. I mean, not against a fantastic schedule, but uh, they've played, you know, representative teams now are they going to be able to maintain that is what it boils down to but I think it's a very good sign that there there were some question marks coming out of the Purdue game but slowly but surely they've kind of firmed things up and I think played well overall have given Clifford every opportunity to succeed that's another thing I think when we go back to the Sean Clifford discussion I think he's been much safer this year than he was last year. And I don't know that he's made the most of it Uh, again, especially I know I'm beating a dead horse, but at the end of that Northwestern game, there were a couple plays there where he just had to make those plays. He had time to make them and and he's got to make those plays. So I think so far so good is the best way to put it. You know, we went into this thing saying this offensive line is going to have to prove it to us at times they have uh, at, but, but I guess the, the key is that, They haven't looked, again, faint praise. They haven't looked as bad as they did last year. But I think across the board, they've played well. It's going to be another test against Michigan, another test against Minnesota, and then another test against Ohio State. Let's see how that that group does. It's going to be real important for them to play well. Yeah, I would I would second that with with what Mark said um, in terms of it. It's not last year's uh, offensive line, which the bar was pretty low. Um, but at the same time, even even if there's a low bar, you still have to exceed it. Um, and, and they've done that so far. I am curious what um, you know what it looks like at left guard uh, when Hunter Norzad is healthy, if they keep the rotation, if Landon Tangwall really you know gets the chance to seize that job and run with it. Um, but so far, I think that there was you know a little bit of shakiness from Caden Wallace in, in week one at Purdue. Uh, that one sack was pretty ugly. But I think overall they've avoided um, kind of the games where one guy really stands out as getting pushed around. Um, granted, you know, we'll see what they do against Ohio State, against Michigan, against these other Big Ten defenses. Um, but, you know, they, they didn't have a letdown performance like they did against Villanova last year. Um, and so far, you know, guys that have struggled, uh, like Caden Wallace, who, who had his moments, seems to have bounced back, you know, relatively well. Um, and you know, hasn't, it's that thing where, you know, if you're not talking about Caden Wallace coming out of a game, that probably means that, that he played pretty well. So I think that you feel a little bit more comfortable, um, about this offensive line, uh, right now than we were, you know, even a month ago after the Purdue game. Yeah. I would say one other, one other thing, Tyler is, is that with respect to Hunter Norzad, I don't know that that playing him is necessarily a negative toward Landon Tangwell. Just like I, I don't think playing Efner is a, is a negative toward Caden Wallace. I think what both of those things are doing is having another one guy that you know you can count on if there's an injury to the middle three, uh, to, to the interior lineman, because Norzad can play all of those positions. And then obviously uh, with Efner, another guy that if one of your tackles gets bumped up, I think that's been very smart what they've done, playing those guys when they can, when they've been healthy, because as the season goes along on that line, people are going to get bumped up. And I think it's important for a backup at both of those positions, the interior positions and then the tackles, uh, to to have enough experience that you're very comfortable going to them in big game situations. 
Very important year three for Phil Troutwine, the offensive line coach. So far, he's had health on his side with this group. He's found the right buttons, pushed the right buttons with some of these rotations. And I agree with what Daniel said. I think Caden Wallace, to his credit, has stabilized himself a bit with some help uh, in Bryce Seffner fortifying that that spot. And I think in the next three games, guys, we're going to learn a lot about just how good Olu Fashionu is right now. And I don't know if he's going to be that good, but I think we're going to find out. Is, is he take his lumps in, in some of these Big Ten battles and, and you learn, hey, he's a guy that you've got coming back next year and you're going to continue to build with him? Or does he go through the next few games, really turn some heads and say, this might be your one year with Olu? And, and, and I think that's going to really be uh, something to watch here with this offensive line because if you come out and go into November and feeling like you have a legit franchise left tackle for the final stretch of this game, that that's a nice thing to have. <laughs> that's a really nice thing to have that a lot of teams don't. Um, I'm not ready to go there with Olu at this stage of the season, but I think uh, we'll be ready to make kind of more of a verdict on where he is in his career uh, coming out of this month, and and we'll see. He's played a lot of football for them, so has Drew Scruggs, and so has Salim Wormley. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, guys, uh, Kazai Izzard wasted no time. He was involved in the goal line package. Uh, he was uh, right there as a second teamer on the defensive tackle position, uh, kind of to the to the detriment uh, of Zane Durant and to Jordan Vandenberg and, and their ability to get on the field. Um, but but it's another addition to this defensive line, which knock on wood through five games hasn't really had any subtractions from a health standpoint. And guys are getting healthier and guys are are coming back from their injuries and feeling more comfortable. And then you've got these freshman components and transfer components feeling themselves and, and, and game by game getting in that groove. To me, this is the group, guys, that can they beat Ohio State? Can you get this group? You know, I, I know you're going to need a big performance from whoever's ever playing quarterback for you at Penn State. You're going to need the ground game to do their thing. But against Ohio State, can this group do it in the pocket, outside of the pocket, to disrupt things and create create chaos? And I think Manny Diaz right now has done a nice job getting the ball rolling in that direction. I think big picture. I've just been very impressed with, with what this defense has done. Um, when you think about where they were at the end of last year, a lot of it was health related, uh, in terms of some, some key injuries at some spots, but, you know, I just think that Manny Diaz has done a a nice job of taking what was already here, uh, taking what came back in terms of Adisa Isaac, um, and, uh, Hakeem Beeman, and then taking what Penn State added in Chop Robinson and denied Dennis Sutton and kind of mixing it together, um, you know, and finding combinations that have worked. Um, and just really getting the players to buy in uh, to what he wanted to do um, and how he's wanted to play. And I think that it's really shown. Um, obviously, you think about these teams that are looming. I mean, it, it's going to be hard. We're going to learn a lot um, about what this defense can do, what its ceiling is, um, what it's capable of doing against some high-level competition. But I think overall, you, you look at the front, that's where it always starts. And you just feel good about what they've been able to do. Obviously, you'd like more sacks. You'd like more tackles for loss. Um, but I think that the talent is there uh, to make that happen. So we'll see. You know, I think that we're going to see guys like Adiza Isaac, like Denai Dennis Sutton, like Chop Robinson, uh, make some game-changing plays uh, in this second half of the season. Um, and I think that Manny Diaz will have them uh, in the position to make that happen. I think the biggest thing we've seen the last couple of weeks for the entire defense has been P.J. Mustafer being P.J. Mustafer again, you know, leading the team in tackles in each of the last two games, which you, you just rarely see that from, you know, a, a, a one-technique tackle doing that two games in a row. 
you know, sometimes that'll happen here or there. You know, his his snoot right in the middle of that goal line stand. Uh, and not only did he get the job done, but hearing him and other players talk about the way he led that huddle, you know, prior when when Northwestern decides to go for it on fourth and one, you know, he didn't he didn't tell us the exact words because I guess some of them weren't family friendly, but he, you got your leader back, and not only is he leading, but he's playing at he, he's getting back to playing at an elite level, and I think the yeah. better PJ Mustafer plays the better that whole line is going to play and the better the whole defense is going to play. He's ma- he's going to make life easier on the defensive ends. He's going to make life easier on the linebackers. And I, I also thought it was very cool to see Akeem Beeman getting in there and being a disruptive force, even though he didn't start in that game, he played a bunch of snaps. And this is the disruptor that Penn State has been looking for from that other tackle spot. So those two guys – we can talk about all the other personnel, all the guys who may register sacks and do this and do that as the season goes along. But I think those are your two key guys in the middle of that defensive line. I'm curious to see what, what happens for Denai Dennis Sutton coming out of the bye week. He was scaled back to 10 snaps last Saturday at a roughing the passer penalty. Um, he leads this team right now with three sacks. He's the only defensive lineman with multiple sacks, and that's on a relatively small snap count. So um, curious to see how he gets maybe unleashed a little bit in, in late October play as the ball gets rolling again for this defensive front. Uh, linebacker guys, uh, the presence of P.J. Mustafer, and then on the back end, Jair Brown and those cornerbacks, it, it takes some of the heat off of this group. Um, they haven't filled the stat sheet to this point. It's been Tyler Elston getting the bulk of work at middle linebacker, Curtis Jacobs at will. Uh, you know, the, the new wrinkle that has popped up week to week is Abdul Carter getting in the mix at both of those spots and sharing the field with Curtis Jacobs. We did not have to, to wait long to see that. Um, we didn't see nearly as much of Kobe King last week as we did of uh, as we did of uh, Abdul Carter. So it's kind of a, a pecking order coming and it's a little bit positionless right now, guys. You've got Jonathan Sutherland uh, still at the Sam linebacker. Maybe Charlie Catcher's a factor there as well. And Don DeLuca's been. But I look at those box linebacker positions, the one that are a little more relevant on this defense series by series. Um, and Abdul Carter has changed things up a little bit. And I'm still waiting to see if Curtis Jacobs can become that kind of a, a all Big Ten game wrecker here as a junior. Uh, I still think the jury's out in that department. Yeah, we're looking at uh, five games into the season. Abdul Carter second on the team with 18 tackles. Uh, Tig Brown has 25 take into account that he played what one or two snaps against Purdue. Right. This is trending to what we saw from Micah Parsons in his freshman year, where he started one game and led the team in tackles. And I'm not saying this kid's the next Micah Parsons, but what we've seen of him out there on the field has been legit so far. And I think he's just going to get better and better and better. Uh, And that's why they're playing him. I mean, he's, he's, he's forcing them to find spots to put him on the field. You know, they initially had him playing behind um, uh, Curtis Jacobs, you know, and now, as you said, in certain packages, uh, he's playing alongside Curtis Jacobs because those are clearly your two best linebackers. And I don't think anybody else is even in the the, the, the discussion uh, at this point, with all due respect to the other linebackers. So I think as this season goes along, it's going to be more and more of the Abdul Carter show. And I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be I'm really anxious. I, I know we're kind of beating this to death about this gauntlet coming up, but Penn State is going to be playing some elite athletes. And we know that Abdul Carter's an elite athlete because they told us he ran 4-4 something, you know, at his size. 
I, I can't wait to see him against these better teams. I can't wait to see him against these great athletes from from Michigan and Ohio State. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really he's as you can tell, I'm excited because w- when you get a, a young kid with that ability, you know, I think you're really going to see him flash. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to be out of position. You know, he, he's probably going to you know make errors here and there. But I think it's I think we're going to have an opportunity in the next few weeks to really see this guy elevate. He's already playing at a pretty high level, so let's just see how how fun this is going to be watching this kid the next few weeks. Daniel, yeah. let's talk uh, no fly zone with you yeah. uh, because because that, that that's the story you wrote uh, towards. Uh, was that last week going into to the matchup against Northwestern? Um, certainly, the, the group acquitted themselves well again, stacked up more PBUs. Um, secondary, big picture here. There's not a lot of holes to poke, and I think the biggest thing about it is. There hasn't been a liability next to Jair Brown at safety. In fact, there's been three uh, really dependable players for the most part. One who's been a tremendous playmaker in creating takeaways and, and Zaki Wheatley. And then Jalen Reed, who I feel like has shown that from the back end to the line of scrimmage, it's kind of like the Tasmanian devil out there. So you go through the cornerbacks, go through the safeties, but you land on the same conclusion. This group has been as good as advertised, if not better. And it was advertised a lot in August. Definitely. And and I think when you talk about the safeties, we were very, I think we were all kind of like, what's going to happen to the other two guys that, that don't win that starting job next to Tig Brown? You know, what, how are they going to keep them involved? What, you know, what are they going to be able to do? Because we, we knew that all three of them, Keaton Ellis, Siggy Wheatley, Jalen Reed, all very different players with d- different skill sets. And I think it's a credit to Manny Diaz, credit to Anthony Poindexter, credit to Terry Smith, that they found ways to get all of them on the field together. Uh, to keep them involved. Um, and I think that that's really paid off. Um, you know, when you have these positions where you, you can play multiple guys and you it's not like quarterback or offensive line necessarily or even like a middle linebacker, um, I think that they're doing a good thing by taking advantage of that. So I think that the safeties have been very fun to watch. Um, and then I think as the secondary uh, as a whole, um, I think the guy who has really kind of unlocked a lot of things is Johnny Dixon um, in those kind of dime packages, the the prowler package he's played in the slot um, and coming into this year, we didn't really have a, um, you know, a real bead on who else could play inside other than Daquan Hardy. Um, and I think, you know, Johnny Dixon talked about learning that spot, you know, being able to play inside to add flexibility. And I think that that's something that has really paid off. Um, for Penn State uh, with, with being able to get more guys onto the field with ball skills, uh, being able to to do some more creative things. Um, you know, Kalen King and, and Joey Porter Jr. are playing at really high levels. Um, so is Johnny Dixon. But I think the fact that they can get all of these guys onto the field at the same time isn't necessarily something that we were, you know, expecting, I guess. I think that you know, we've seen the rotations, but I think that we were like, okay, if Johnny Dixon is going to play, it's going to be in a rotation. Um, it's not necessarily going to be as a, as the fourth uh, defensive back lining up uh, in the slot. So I think his emergence has done a lot um, in addition to, to what those younger safeties have done. 
We've talked so much about the impact of transfers who've come on board this year. How about a couple who they picked up last year? One, Johnny Dixon from South Carolina, and then a punter by the name of Barney and Moore out of Colgate, who was the Big Ten uh, Special Teams Player of the Week this week and has been phenomenal uh, through the first five games of this season. We are back on the Penn State practice field this evening on Tuesday. Uh, we will get a quick look at the team. We'll get a, a quick conversation with James Franklin, and that's going to close the book on media access over the course of this bye week. Of course, we will come to you at Lions 247com with a bunch of coverage, uh, a good chance to, to collect some thoughts for five games. I'll be doing a position-by-position -position breakdown. We've got our freshman report up there. Go check out Daniel's Rewind review of the Northwestern game and what stood out from that one. Uh, for now, big thanks to Mark. Big thanks to Daniel. Uh, we'll get back to work at Lions247.com, and we'll talk to you real soon. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.